Shalom and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com and our study of Sefer Tvarim. My name is Menachem Liptag. Today we continue our study of Parshat Nitzavim, class number two out of six. In today's shur, we will be studying in chapter 29 from verses 13 to 20. The main topic today will be the Brit, the covenant called Brit Nitzavim. We will have to understand why there's a need for an additional covenant. Why wasn't the covenant at Sinai enough? One short note in regard to yesterday's class where we talked about the word Hayom, meaning not just the day that this covenant was made, but rather a day that transcends time and permeates through every day of Jewish history. And we also compared this to the concept of accepting God of Machiot, accepting Hashem as our God and the readiness to serve Him and keep the Torah. So it could be in light of this, we can understand the piyut that we say at the end of Musaf and Rosh Hashanah, after asking God to inscribe us in the Book of Life, the Sefer Achaim that first quotes the verse, "Kakatuv v'atem advekim b'adonai Elohim chaim kochem hayom," from Sefer Devarim, chapter four, verse four, where Moshe said, "You who did not sin with Balpor and remain faithful, you are still alive hayom today," and that brings us into the song "Hayom Tamtzeno Yom Tevarchenu" that we all are so familiar with on Rosh Hashanah, the one day that we accept God as our Melech. That permeates through every day of the year. And it could be the song of Hayom Tam Tzenu and the accent of this word Hayom and that song may reflect this very same idea where one day of the year, Rosh Hashanah, even though it is limited to one day, has an effect on the entire year. The day that we are judged for the outcome of that year, in our prayers, we talk about the importance of that day in a manner similar to what we find in Sefer Devarim. To begin our study today, let's return to Pasuk Yudbet to verse 12 in Parshat Nitzavim, which is the necessary background to understand verse 13. The purpose of this gathering in Parshat Nitzavim is in order to establish Am Yisrael as God's nation and thus fulfilling the covenant with our forefathers. But of course, that covenant was made at Har Sinai. So one could suggest that because it's 40 years later, we need to re establish the covenant. But if that was the case, then every 40 years we should have to perform a similar ceremony and we find no source for something like that. Also, one could assume that had we not sinned in the desert and had the first generation entered the land, then it could be that all the topics that Parshat Nitzavim is talking about might have been necessary for the first generation as well. It's just we did not hear about it because that generation never made it in. So as we study these verses now in Parshat Nitzavim, we have to ask ourselves, what is special of what Moshe now is going to explain to the people? So let's begin now in verse 13, Pasuk Yudgemel. And it is not only with you, that is, it is not only with your generation, that I am making this covenant and this warning. Again, the Allah most likely is referring to the blessings and curses that we found in chapters 27 and 28. And the Brit are all the laws of Sefer Devarim that began with the Covenant and the Ten Commandments and were later detailed in chapters 5 through 26. The question that Pasuk Gimel deals with is a very fundamental one. If this Brit was made at our Sinai with the first generation, how can it be binding on future generations? It's understandable that the very same people that got took out of Egypt and took care of them in the desert, they accepted this covenant and it's binding on them. But why should it be binding on their children? That's a question that every Jewish child tends to ask when they start growing up, why am I obligated from birth to be part of this nation? So Moshe Rabbeinu now has to explain to the people 
that this covenant is eternal and binding on all generations. And even though it was made with one generation, because it's done with a nation and every individual is part of that nation, that's the concept of Knesset Israel. We stand as a partner with God as a complete entity and every individual is simply part of that one big group. And therefore Moshe has to explain that this covenant is binding on all generations, even those not born yet. As he explains now in verse 14, but it is both with those who stand here with us today in the presence of Hashem our God and also with those who are not present with us here today. Based on this beginning point, I'd like to consider this and the remaining points that Moshe is going to make in Parshat Nitzavim that these will be a covenant about the covenant itself. The very concept of becoming God's people and the laws that we have to keep to fulfill that goal of being God's people. And the curses, and the blessings, and all the warnings, should we follow the laws or not follow the laws, that's part of the Brit and the Allah. But now we need some parameters in regard to how this covenant is going to work. And the first point now, the Moshe Rabbeinu is making in Brit Nitzavim, that in order to establish this nation forever, it needs to be understood that this covenant is binding on all future generations as well, not only the people present, but anyone born to this nation in the future. Before we continue, a note about this concept of an eternal covenant and why it is such a central theme in the Torah. Recall that there are two covenants that God made with Avram Avinu in Sefer Breshit. The first one, known as Brit Ben Abtarim, focused on the need for Avram's offspring to first go through slavery in someone else's land, followed by redemption, and only hundreds of years later to conquer the land and become that nation. But when you look at that covenant, it appears to be a one-time promise to get the nation started. Of course, we claim that this covenant continues forever. That's the famous that we say in Nagara Passover. And that's what we talk about in Pesukah di Zimra, in the opening section of Hodul Hashem Kiru Bishmo, where we make a statement, that God remembers this covenant they made with our forefathers forever. But that understanding is rooted in the second covenant that God makes with Abraham Avinu, better known as Brit Milah, there we find the word the Olam forever as one of the key points in that covenant. If you take a look back in chapter 17 in Sefer Breshit, it begins with Avram was 99 years old. God appeared to him and told him, my name is now Kel Shaddai, and gives him the command, that will be the underlying theme, what God expects not only from Avram Avinu, but also from his offspring, a way of life of walking with God and trying to be perfect. Then God promises that Nebriti Beniu Benecha, Recall these phrases. I'm going to make a covenant between me and you, and I will also multiply your offspring. And then God promises Avram Avinu that he's going to make a brit and he'll be an Avhaman Goim. As we mentioned, he'll be a mentor, or a father-like figure for many nations. Then he changes Avram's name to Avraham, and again promises many children. And the most important verse is Pasuk Zion, verse 7 in chapter 17 in Breshit. Listen to the wording of the phrase. Listen carefully to the wording. Bakimoti et briti benu benecha. God now promises, I'm going to establish my covenant between me and you. And between you and your offspring after you for all generations as an eternal covenant. In order that I will be their God. And for your offspring after you. This verse is the key background to everything that Parshat Nitzavim is talking about. Recall that phrase, that's clearly referring 
to this verse here of Bakimotid Briti Bediu Benecha. And here's the first time we have the concept of a Brit Olam, of an eternal Brit. And then in the next verse, in Pasachet, where God now promises the land to Abraham Avinu, I'm going to give you and your offspring the land of Canaan, La'achuzat Olam, again the word Olam, an eternal inheritance of the land. Again, God repeating the key point of this covenant, I will be for you a God, and hence you will be my people. Then, God tells Abraham Avinu, as an Otrit, as a sign of this covenant, you need to perform circumcision on all of your male children. But the covenant is the sign or the reminder of the covenant will be circumcision. And hence, this covenant is known as the circumcision covenant. But the concept of a Brit Olam, of an eternal Brit, for all of Avram Avinu's offspring who are going to become this nation, of course, God will tell later Avram, only from the children of Yitzchak and not from Yishmael and any other children Avram might have, they will become the nation. And later God decides that Yaakov is chosen over Esau, and then finally, God decides when he changes Yaakov's name to Yisrael, the choosing process has become finalized, and now all the 12 tribes are chosen. And once we reach that point in Sefer Breshit, everyone born to the family of Yaakov Avinu is eternally part of this Jewish nation. This background can also help us appreciate why the Otbrit, the sign of this covenant, is specifically circumcision, because part of the responsibility of being Jewish is to ensure that this covenant remains forever. In order for the covenant to be eternal, we are commanded to have children. Tam Yisrael, having children is not only a blessing, it's a commandment. And therefore, to remember this, our reminder is specifically on the part of the body that enables us to have children. And therefore, at the very inception of this concept of covenant with Abraham Avinu, we have this idea of eternity, the need to have children, and the underlying concept that once you were born Jewish, you cannot break out of this covenant. To appreciate the need for this covenant that God makes with Abraham Avinu, we have to go back to an earlier covenant in the Torah, one which is quite parallel to the covenant that God made with Abraham Avinu, and that is the covenant he makes with Noah, better known as Brit Keshet, the Rainbow Covenant. There we have almost the very same phrases that we find by Brit Milah. Recall that after the flood, first Noah brings sacrifices and God promises never destroy his creation again, and then it becomes formalized in a Brit with God's name Elohim, beginning in Sefer Breshit in chapter 9, verse 8, God tells Noah, I'm going to establish my covenant with you and with your offspring afterwards and with all living things that came out of the ark. In other words, God is going to make a covenant not only with Noah and his sons, but with all his creation, all living things. And then verse 11, we have almost the exact same phrase that we find by Brit Milah, God is going to establish his breath with all living things. All of God's living things will not be destroyed again like they were after the flood. God will not bring another flood to destroy the land. And then God gives Noah an Otbrit, a sign of that covenant, and that will be the rainbow. There it says in verse 12 in chapter 9, there again an eternal covenant for all time between God and all of his creation God will put the rainbow in the cloud and that will be the sign of the covenant between God and the land. This is followed by the famous verse that we quote in Zichronot 
where God says, I'm going to remember my Brit and never bring another flood again. And then in verse 16, in Pasuk Tetzayin, Vaita keshet banan uri tiha liskor Brit olam ben Elohim uben kol nefesh chaya v'chol basar asher ala aretz. This rainbow, when God will see it, he'll remember his eternal covenant between Elohim and all living things on the land. So again, in the rainbow covenant, we have God's name Elohim, just like Brit Milah. We have the concept of Beni Obein, first between God and his creation, and now between God and Avram Avinu and his offspring. We have the concept of Olam, an eternal covenant. We have a, not only a covenant, Vakimoti et Briti, we also have an old Brit, a sign of the covenant. And there's no doubt that in Sefer Breshit, the rainbow covenant is setting the platform to appreciate the covenant that God makes with Avram Avinu to start a nation. What I'd like to suggest is just like God made a promise that he'll never destroy his creation again, even though he wants man to be good, no matter how bad civilization develops, God will never reach the point like he did at the flood to start over again. He may bring catastrophe, but never to the point of total destruction. In a very similar manner, he makes a covenant hundreds of years later with Avram Avinu to start a nation, and also that covenant will be an eternal one for all generations, even though within that covenant, God may become angry and punish that nation, that covenant remains eternal, and it can never be broken, neither by God nor by the people. One could even suggest that the need for God's covenant with Abraham Avinu is because of his covenant after the flood. Because once God decided that he will never destroy civilization again, we're now living in a world of tikkun, of fixing. And therefore, if civilization goes bad, we can't start over again, we can only fix what we have. And to help facilitate fixing civilization, God enters a new covenant with Avram Avinu to become a nation that should they follow their side of the covenant, they will become this model nation that will help bring civilization in the right direction. They'll be that model nation. They'll be that Abhamon Goim. They'll be the mentor for other nations. And assuming that behavior is contagious, God's hope is that this nation who acts in a special way and talks about God will bring this idea of godliness to the rest of civilization. The two Britot that God makes with Abraham Avinu come together as we leave Egypt, as God fulfills Brit Ben Tarim. When we come to Mount Sinai, we solidify Brit Milah. Those were the famous verses we saw yesterday in Parshat Ba'era in chapter 6 of Sefer Shemot, in verses 6, 7, and 8, where God says, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. And then, Again, that's the phrase of Brit Milah. Then, then you will know and internalize that I'm the God who took you out of Egypt to become my nation. And then, only after that, then I'll bring you to the land that I promised your forefathers. As we explained yesterday, God's original hope was the first generation would be ready to fulfill that goal. Unfortunately, it took 40 years and we had to bring up a new generation who learned from the mistakes of the first generation. And now at this point in Jewish history, we're ready to become that nation. And now we're ready to have one final covenant based on the first covenant called Brit Nitzavim, where God is going to talk about the eternal nature of the covenant. In order for this to be a Brit Olam, Am Yisrael cannot break out of the covenant, nor, as we'll see later in Parshat Nitzavim, God himself also promises that he cannot break out of the covenant. No matter how bad this relationship might be, ultimately, we're going to return and become God's people at some point in history. These ideas, hopefully, will serve as a background to understand now the rest of the details that we find in Parshat Nitzavim. 
But this raises now another question. Assuming that this covenant is eternal between God and his people, what would happen if not the entire nation, but an individual in that nation, or maybe a family, or maybe possibly even an entire tribe, decides they would like to opt out of the covenant? In other words, they could say, I don't want the reward and I don't want the punishment. It's not worth the trouble. After hearing all these warnings, someone might say, this is too hard for us. I'd rather give up on the potential reward and not face the danger of this potential punishment. And someone might say, it's not the nation of Israel who's going to break out of this covenant, but rather me as the individual. Take an example when a tree is growing. Sometimes for the sake of the tree, it's good to cut off a branch or to prune a tree to make the rest of the tree grow better. So someone might say, it's for the sake of Am Yisrael, I'm doing Am Yisrael a favor by cutting myself off. Or maybe someone in Am Yisrael might say, a certain group is doing more harm than good. Maybe we should cut this family out of the nation. Maybe we should cut out the Shevet. These are all logical possibilities that someone might come up with, either now or in the future. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu has to clarify in the terms of this covenant that this is not a possibility. No one can break out of the covenant, for sure not Am Yisrael as a nation, but not even an individual, nor a family, or a tribe. With this in mind, let's continue now in Pasuk Tedvav in verse 15. Because you know what life was like in the land of Egypt. You saw their culture. And as we pass through the various nations that you pass through, that is the lands of Edom and Moab and Ammon and the Midianites, you saw how they were living. You saw their culture. And recall from Sefer Vayikra, chapter 18, their God explained not to act like Canaanites and not to act like Egyptians because their culture was corrupt. Instead, you have to follow my laws. That's in Vayikra, chapter 18, verses 2 through 4. Now Moshe continues in Pasuk Tetzayin, in verse 16, vet gilulehem, For you have seen all their abominations and all their types of idol worship, everything they have, be it from wood or from stone or from silver or from gold. This all serves as a background now for verse 17 because Moshe Rabbeinu is worried maybe people who now have seen other cultures and other ways of life may prefer that lifestyle over the lifestyle of the Torah. And therefore he warns them in verse 17, Pasuk Yitzayin, Penish bachem, ish o isha, o mishpacha o shevet. Should there be among you either an individual man or a woman or a family or even an entire tribe whose heart now is turning today away from Hashem our God, to go and to serve the gods of those nations. And now Moshe uses an analogy, should there be among you a poisonous fruit whose fruit is gal and wormwood. The word rush as a poisonous fruit is found several times in the Tanakh. The Radak claims it's a type of poison or venom. In the Turgum HaShivim, it's called gal. And la'ana is translated as wormwood. It's a herb whose taste is very bitter, and therefore it's also known in general for a type of bitterness. Moshe Rabbeinu is comparing people thinking in this manner that they can break away from the covenant, comparing it to a type of a poisonous root that can spread and cause other people to go astray as well. Now he continues to explain what these people might say. Pasuk Yudchet, verse 18. And it shall come to pass, shall one of these people or families hear the words of these sanctions, of these curses, again, of the Tochacha, 
Vidbarech bilvavon lemor shalom yali, and he'll bless in his own heart. We'll follow Rashi's interpretation that this is a lashon of bracha, a blessing, but it's sort of wordplay because when he hears the klalot, the sanctions of the Allah, he says these klalot will not affect me. Rather, I'll be affected only by the brachot. In my heart, I'll receive only blessing, saying everything could be fine with me. I won't be punished. I'll have shalom. I will go the way my heart sees things. In other words, he has no fear of these sanctions at all. This is no longer what the person is saying. This is what now Moshe is saying of what God will do to this person. The word rava means something moist and the word sama means something very dry. And here we find a wide range of opinions from Ibn Ezra holds that the rava, the moist, are the tzaddikim and the tzmea, the dry, are the rishayim. Ramban claims quite the opposite that the Rava, the moist ones, are full of desires of evil inclination, and the Tzmeah is someone who has no bad desires, and hence the Rava are the Rashaim, and the Tzmeah are the Sadiqim. But according to everyone, it's the bad people who are going to take over the good people and be a bad influence upon them and may cause them to go astray as well. Rashi explains that God will now take the actions that he did, Bishogeg, unintentionally, and will treat them as though they were intentional transgressions. He says, I will add the punishment that he deserves for Shogeg to the punishments he deserves for Mezid. And that follows very nicely with the next line, Pasuk Yotet, verse 19, Lo Hashem will never forgive him. Instead, Ki az yeshan af Adonai Instead, Hashem's anger and passion will rage against that man. And every sanction recorded in this book, in the Tochacha, will come down upon him. And Hashem will blot out his name, or erase his name, from under the heaven. He wanted to break out of the covenant, thinking nothing will happen to him. Instead, Hashem will wipe this person out now from under the heaven. And this fear of harsh punishment continues now in Pasuk Tchaf in verse 20. Hashem will single this person out for evil from all the tribes of Israel. According to all these sanctions of this covenant that are written in this Sefer Torah, in this book of teaching, all the curses that God was warning, God will bring them upon these people who go astray. Note here that God's harsh anger it's not necessarily against the person who transgresses, who does a sin, and doesn't follow a specific law. But rather, this is anger against a person who breaks away from the entire concept of covenant. There's a difference between a person who accepts being Jewish, accepts that we are in the service of God, but becomes weak in his day-to-day -day life and cannot keep up to the high level that the Torah demands from someone. But now we're talking about a very different type of attitude problem where a person breaks away from Judaism altogether and says, I do not want to be part of this covenant at all. And therefore, God has this very harsh warning because this type of behavior can have a snowball effect and cause other people to go astray. Therefore, God warns very harshly, this type of behavior will not be tolerated. In today's class, we have shown how the topics in Brittany Savim relate to the very concept of covenant itself, not additional laws and not additional sanctions, but rather considerations in regard to the very concept of covenant the fact that this covenant is eternal, it automatically passes from one generation to the next. Amisro cannot break out of the covenant as a nation. 
not only as a nation, we can also not cut out of this covenant as a tribe or as a family or even as an individual or basically once you're born Jewish, you're Jewish forever. In tomorrow's class, we'll see additional warnings about what will happen should we go astray and how, in a rather strange way, we can end up sanctifying God even through the harsh punishments that we receive as a nation. And then, later in the parsha, we will see how God himself cannot break out of the covenant. Ultimately, the nation of Israel must repent, no matter how bad our behavior may be in this relationship. Ultimately, at some time, we will need to return to God.